All right. Well, we're in the book of Mark. Let's turn over to the book of Mark. This is called Getting Through the Bible. In Mark chapter 8, we're working our way through it, verse by verse. And I'm learning a lot just doing it again, verse by verse myself, because I'm taking time to look at what the scriptures actually say. And whenever you read the Bible, you have to ask yourself a few questions. You know, you have to look at the Bible and see what the subject matter is. What is he talking about? You know, and uh, who's actually doing the talking? Sometimes God is talking. Sometimes one of the prophets are talking. One of the disciples are talking. Sometimes the Pharisees are talking. So you have to ask yourself, who's doing the talking in the scripture? Who's doing the narrative? And then you have to ask yourself the question, how does it pertain to me? All right, what is the subject? Who's doing the talking? And how does it pertain to me? Because some things in the Bible don't directly pertain to you. Indirectly, they do. But in some cases, they don't. Because God could be speaking to Jewish people, unless you're a Jew. He could be speaking to the Gentiles, and we are of that uh, family, the Gentile. He could be speaking to men, and what he says to men, he, men, he doesn't say to women. When he speaks to the woman, he doesn't speak the same thing to the woman if he speaks to the man. So you got to know when you look at the scriptures, uh, who is God actually addressing? And when you deal with even talking with women, there's different levels of that because women come in the form of a mother, a grandmother, a wife, a virgin, a sister, a daughter. See, all these aspects, when you start looking at the Bible, you got to say, is he talking to a daughter? Is he talking to a virgin? Is he talking to a wife? So you got to look at all those things. The same thing when it goes to a men. So the Bible is pretty in-depth with uh, the understanding that God wants us to get. You know, the Bible should not be so hard that you can't get it. And the reason I say that is because God cannot hold us accountable for things we don't understand. And he will not hold you accountable for things you don't understand. So he makes it clear to us what we need to know. And if it's something that we're a little foggy on, that's why he's provided teachers and people to explain the word for you. And more than a teacher, he's provided the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you. And you have to have this unique relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the way you get that is ask him. First of all, you got to ask yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Just ask him. You sit down and read, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And some of you that don't know, maybe you need to ask God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Because when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, he endues you with power. You got to ask. And he'll come upon you. And after having come upon you, he'll live on the inside of you. And he'll show you things to come. And he'll be your guide. He'll be your helper. He'll be the one that ignites the gifts in your life. There are particular uh, charismas that God has for every believer. And they operate differently in each person. You know, and we've done some teaching on that. We're going to do more teaching this year about having a spirit-filled life. And don't be afraid of it. Because a spirit-filled life is a powerful life. It's a life where the Holy Spirit lives richly on the inside of you. And he is there instead of Christ. Because Christ says, when I go to the Father, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send the comforter to you. He's going to come. So because Jesus is no longer physically here, he went to be with the Father. He sent the parakleton. In the Greek, it's called the Spirit of God comes to replace that relationship that Jesus had with the disciples. And I often said this, and I believe it to be true. Uh, we can't do half of what God requires us to do on our own unless we're filled with the Spirit. Jesus did all he did under the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and he was guided and directed by the desires that he had in his heart for his father and the direction of the Holy Spirit in his life because he operated as the servant man on this earth. He's showing us an example for us to follow. All right. And that's important for us to know. So in the same way that the Holy Spirit led Jesus, we find that in Matthew, he led him into the wilderness. The Bible says to be tempted of the devil. That was when he fasted for 40 days. The scriptures actually say he was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So if Jesus wasn't led by the spirit, why does the Bible say he was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? You see, so it's important for us to know that we all to be led by the spirit of God. All right. And you can trust God that he'll operate in power and demonstration because there are souls depending on the revelation that can only come from the Spirit of God. Souls depend on that. We just don't get it through osmosis. We don't get it because we're smart. We get it because it's a revelation that's being revealed by the Spirit of God. So any teaching going on, there should be revealed knowledge going on. So when you sit and listen, a lot of times in our ministry, because I don't say, thus saith the Lord, but prophecy still comes out. You got to be listening to catch it. Some people use, well, thus said the Lord, and you get ready, okay, for some prophecy or a word of knowledge, word of wisdom. But a lot of times in the teaching, the teaching is like the bus, and the bus goes down the street, and the bus has all kinds of customers in it and all kinds of people in that bus. Well, say in the same way, when you teach, the gifts are in the teaching. Word of knowledge is coming forth, word of wisdom. You know, power gifts are coming forth. Prophecies coming forth. All these things, you have to be listening. You have to have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. And if you're not accustomed to listening, then you'll miss it. See, you can't just hear, you have to listen. There's a difference between hearing and listening. I hear you, a lot of men say this, I hear you, honey, but you ain't listening. You know, I heard you, but see, having heard doesn't mean that you listen. Because the only way I know that you listen is that you do the things that I'm asking of you. And that's what Jesus said. You know, if you say you love me, think about this. If you say you love me, then keep my word. We all get emotional. We get this experience that we love God. But to really know that somebody loves God is obedience, the life of sacrifice. It's a life of submission. So we submit to God and we hear him. And then we endeavor to obey him. And when you endeavor to obey him, you have help. You have the Holy Spirit to help you to stay in line with what God calls you to do. And each one of you, including myself, have a different purpose for why God has us here. Some of our purposes may be similar, but the fingerprint is different. And only you can do what God has designed for you to do. Your relationship with God is personal. Again, you might see something similar because we can walk together in fellowship because we agree. But even in our agreement, there's something different that you're called to do than the next person. Can't be identical. So you need to press in this year and seek God for the purpose he has for you. And stay there. Be obedient to him. Be consistent. I'm at the point now. The only thing that I can see is by faith. I can't see anything that I know in my heart that I can physically see it. I can't see it. But by faith, I can realize it and I see it by faith. And so I have to keep calling those things which be not as though they are. I got to keep speaking 
and I know that it's true because every time I speak it, I hear a voice in my head saying, that's not going to happen. Well, I know that's not God. So you must be worried about it happening because you keep telling me it's not going to happen. And I'm talking to that other guy. Because see, Satan's not going to bother you if you're not a threat. You're just a blind leading the blind here. He got you in check. But people say, I want to know if God is speaking to me. God is never going to tell you to do something that's not going to glorify him. It's always going to glorify him. So if you know that in your endeavors, you're reaching out to serve God and to glorify him, go with it. Well, what if I make a mistake? You're going to. People make mistakes. The biggest mistake you can make is not to do anything. Everybody that does anything makes mistakes. That's how we learn. I mean, case in point, look at the disciples. How many mistakes? We can't even count the mistakes that they made. And did Jesus throw them out? No. And we're going to see a little bit of that today in this chapter in Mark. Listen. All right, Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And my subtitle is Peter's Confession of Christ. Let's take a look at verse 27. And Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, listen at this now, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, what do people say that I am? He questioned his disciples after they'd been out doing a lot of the works in the community and Jesus's name went out. He'd healed a lot. He's fed the 5,000, the 4,000, cast out demons. He's done a lot of different things. You know, when you do something, people talk about you. And Jesus wanted to know from the disciples who were in touch with the community, what do people really say about me? Who do they say that I am? And it's a very poignant question. Who do the people say that I am? The question is for you, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? And he wanted, I think that question was more for them than it was for the people and what they thought. Who do people say that I am? And, you know, we heard a lot of teaching on the I am. Who do people say that I am? Important. Who do you say that he is to you? Watch. And verse 28, and they told him, saying, John the Baptist. That's who they think you are. They think you're John the Baptist. We know John the Baptist was beheaded. Others say Elijah. And we know Elijah had already passed. He says, but others, he says, one of the prophets. These are the things, Lord, that's going around town. This is what the buzz is. Some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're even Elijah. Or still yet better, they think you're one of the prophets. Because there are many prophets that had gone by, major prophets, minor prophets, all the different ones. So the people were in this idea that, man, he's got to be one of the prophets or he's got to be Elijah or John the Baptist. And all of this was great in the kingdom of God because the word of God only came to the prophet, priest, and king. Yeah, think about that. It only came to the prophet, priest, and king. They didn't have the Bible like we have it today. They had nothing to read or to follow or to stand by. So whatever the prophet was an oral society. Whatever the prophet said, they heard from God. Whatever the king said was decreed. You see, whatever John the Baptist was doing, the Bible says he was the forerunner of Jesus. And Jesus said there would be no greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet of a sort. And so he was beheaded. So it's interesting that the community would know that John is dead, that Elijah was in the Old Testament. He's gone now. He went up in a chariot of fire. And then he says that he's one of the prophets. 
And it's true that Jesus was a prophet, but he was the prophet of prophets. <laughs> and I could say he is the Elijah of all Elijahs. And he would definitely be greater than a John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist was his forerunner. And Jesus loved John the Baptist. He loved him. But this is what the buzz was going on. It's important that a community knows who Jesus really is in verse 29. And he continued by questioning them. Now watch, he turns it on. But who do you say that I am? I wanted to know what they say, but who do you say? And that would be, to me, more purposeful because they were with Jesus day and night. So if anybody would know who Jesus is, the disciples ought to have known. I can see the community missing it because they weren't with Jesus all the time. They saw eventful things that Jesus did. But when you live with him and walk with him and talk with him and eat with him and pray with him, you're there with Jesus all the time. He turns around and asks the most important question of the day. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Who is Jesus to me? And that's big because if I know who Jesus is to me, it's going to regulate my behavior. I'm not going to be able to get away with things normally that I used to get away with. I'm not going to be lazy and lax if I know who he is to me. If I really have a revelation of who Jesus is to me, I'm going to be more dedicated, more devoted. I think the reason why people slip and backslide and do all these things is because they don't really know who Jesus is to them. I mean, let's go with the essential. He is our salvation. But that has no real response from you, no requirement of you, because he's our salvation. That's what he did. But where it becomes a little more um, that you have to really take a look at this thing and know that you know that you know that you really love him is that when you call him Lord. The question is, is Jesus Lord of your life? We know he's a savior. He is the savior. And there's no other name whereby men can be saved but the name of Jesus. So we know he's the savior. Everybody, oh, he's the savior. But is he Lord? So you can save somebody and still not be dedicated to the person that saved you. There's a Greek word called sozo. And what that is, it's a temporary deliverance. And a lot of people have had an experience with God where they've been temporarily delivered. And why do I call it temporary deliverance? Because they have not given their life to Jesus yet. They've been saved from destruction or saved from some sickness or disease or some mishap. And they realize that their life has been saved, but they have not committed themselves to Jesus and called him Lord. Because when I say Lord Adonai, I am in a bowed position in my heart and possibly in my physiology. I'm bowed before God because I like to watch a lot of those uh, 14th century, you know, 15th century, 16th century movies and how they come before the king. They're very careful about how they come before the king. I mean, they'll walk up to the king, they have to be announced. And as soon as the king acknowledges them, then they can lift their head up and make a request to the queen king. And when the king is done, whatever he says, they bow and they walk out like this. They don't even turn their back on the king. And they walk out because of the respect of the office and the authority. Now that's a man. But we're talking about Jesus, <laughs> the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And back in those days, they used to call the king who won the most battles and took the most territory, the King of Kings. 
because he would go in and wipe out just every region and have dominance over the regions of the known regions. And they would call him the king of kings. And everybody wanted to be in alliance with the king of kings because they knew sooner or later your kingdom will be subject to his kingdom. But Jesus is the king of kings. And he's the king of all kingdoms. And his name is exalted above every name. That every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And I don't know in modernity that we understand that monarcho stuff. We don't know because we've never had, see a president, what we have today as a president is far different than what they had as kings and monarchs. Those kings had absolute authority. And when a king said something, it was called sovereign. The sovereign word of a king, when he spoke, he could not recant what he said. And that's why John the Baptist's head came off, because that king got up and said, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. What do you want? And she said, give me the head of John the Baptist. And he was sore and hurt because that he knew once he said it, it was so. And this is the natural realm. So how much more? Where do you think they got it from? How much more? If God says something, it should be so. So this whole Lord piece, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Let's take a look at this scripture. All right, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And I pray that we get an understanding of who Jesus is to us today, personally, so when you walk out of here, you won't be any doubt about your relationship with him. You see, once you come to know God and you come to know the Son of God and the Holy Spirit and you get in relationship with them, sin is not a problem anymore. What are you saying, Pastor? Well, sin was a problem before we knew him because we didn't have anybody to forgive us or atone for our sins. But now that we come to know him, sin is not a problem anymore. There's no separation between us and God, even if we do sin. Because the Bible says we have an advocate, one called Jesus, who stands between us and God. And he's the satisfaction for our sins. So when God looks at us, he sees us through the eyes of Jesus. Important stuff. But watch this for all of us. When the question was asked of the disciples, it's asked of us today, who do you say that he is? Who is he to you? And Jesus said this in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Interesting statement right there. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven, which puts a whole nother responsibility level on this thing. You know, you hear people, when I grew up, mostly my grandmother and my aunts and everybody, every time someone going, Lord, Lord. Oh, Lord, they would call on the Lord, Lord, Lordy Jesus. They would call on him all the time. But contrary to them calling on the Lord, their behavior and conduct was different. Now, I, I kind of saw this as a little boy coming up because we were forced to go to church. I was forced to go to church since I was a little child. You know, just I had to go. Just no negotiation. You're going to church, boy. My dad wouldn't go. He'd stay home and work on cars and 
our mother would send us to church and I would cry, so I want to help work on the car. He said, you can help me when you get back. I shouldn't have never said that. <laughs> but they would send us to church to try to teach us the respect of God and going to church and learning the word and all that kind of stuff. And yet they would always cry, Lord, Lord. And yet they do all the things that the Bible said not to do. I mean, we would catch our relatives lying. We would catch them fighting and arguing. I mean, even just before church. Drinking, smoking, gossiping. I mean, all the things. You're a little kid. You're just watching. You don't understand. You go to church and you hear the pastor preaching. And then you sit there, a little kid, which you can't say nothing. Because if you say something, you're going to get in trouble. And you hear the preacher say all this stuff. And then you think about your parents. You think about your home. Well, man, this ain't nothing like what the Bible says. But yet they call on him as Lord. And I say this because a lot of people go to church and they think church is synonymous to having a relationship with God. But it's not. Church is just a portal. Coming together, assembly is just a place where you can come, you could receive, you could hear, you could learn, you could fellowship, you can come to know about God more here. It's like a school. You come in to learn, it's education. It should come in to learn, but it's a spiritual education. But it hurts those looking on if those who are your examples are not living by his lordship. I have to watch every day in front of my kids. Every day, you got to watch what you say and do. They repeat everything. And I'll say, when did I say that? And I had to have said it because they said it verbatim. And we laugh about it. I think, where were they when they heard me? I didn't even know where they were at. You know, when you're living in a small confined apartment or someplace where, you know, the voice travels, they could be playing iPad, arguing with themselves, fussing, and come out and repeat everything I just said. You got to be careful around little people. Because their only job is to mimic you. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And if you don't like what they're doing, change what you do. I know it's a hard truth to bear because I think, man, I'm a pretty good guy. I don't do all that. They're, they're catchers. They catch everything. And the sad part about it is when they catch something that they don't understand and misconstrued it and tell it to somebody else. And my daughter, Tiffany, and I remember this guy. <laughs> I'm sitting in the car on my way to church. On my way to church. Say, going to church. Going to church. And I'm hot. I'm upset. I'm mad. I'm kind of like an assistant pastor at this time at this other church. And I said, man, if Gus would only give me my money back. I can't stand the fact that he borrowed that money from me. He gave it back. We wouldn't be in the situation we're in right now. If Gus would just give me my money back, I was mad. <laughs> She's sitting back in the back. Just <laughs> we get out and go in the back, park in a little assistant pastor position, getting out, and you put your religion on now. Hey, praise the Lord. How y'all doing? Hey, man, good to see you, man. And guess who I run into? Yeah. Gus. <laughs> Gus. I never see Gus in the back. Gus was standing right there. I mean, this was like somebody plotted against me. But l let me just say, I was complaining. Murmuring, I mean wroth, I was upset. 
So we get out and Gus, hey, brother, I say, hey, brother, Gus, man, good to see you. Why are you doing them? You know, we just, you know, doing what Christians do. My little daughter gets out the car. He said, he said, hi, baby. How you doing? <laughs> just about. She said, he said, how you doing? She said, I'd be doing a little bit better if you give me my daddy's money back. I said, I said, no, she don't know what she talking about. She don't know. And the wife said, mm-hmm, yes, she do. I think I was about three shades of purple at that point. And I'm thinking in my mind, why would she pick that up? There's a lot of stuff that was said. Why is that the issue? Why? Because that was what I was most upset about. So I wasn't really lending myself to his lordship rather than forgiving people and letting people go. You know, I was upset about it and harbored it when I should have just let it go because I shouldn't have gave anybody any money I needed anyway. That's why I tell people, don't lend people money if you can't stand to miss it. Because the fastest way to break up relationships is to give somebody some money and they don't pay you back. Now y'all ain't friends or family anymore. If you can't afford to let it go, then keep it. You have a lot better relationships if you can do that. But I was embarrassed, say the least. I was just embarrassed. And I wasn't embarrassed as much because she said it. I was embarrassed because of what I was saying. Because then it came back to me what I was saying. Because I was just looking at Gus like, you know, uh, the other part of that story is after I fussed and ran it, I said, ah, just forget it. I can't do nothing about it. I'm just going to let it go. It's kind of what I was saying in my mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So our job is to teach how to do the will of the Father by reading the word and acting on the word and trusting God through his word. And then he says this in verse 22, many. Whenever you see many in the Bible, that's a lot. That's like most. If I say many of you in here today, it's like talking about the majority of you, many. Many will say to me on that day, and the day he's talking about is Judgment Day. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, cast out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. And I was kind of like, I looked at that and I said, wow, these people were asking the question, you know, did we not? Did we not? They went to Jesus and said, did we not? And supposedly they felt like they'd done the work of God. So did we not? Did we not, Lord? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do the miracles? Didn't we prophesy? You know, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we use your name? So you can kind of think you're there. But when I saw this last piece of what Jesus said to him, it kind of messed me up. Because I see a lot of this going on in verse 23. Then I would declare to them, and these four little words, I never knew you. I never knew you. You were using my name, but I didn't know you. Did we not? They're asking the question, didn't we? But I never knew you. It's not like he said, I knew you once and then I don't know you anymore. He said, I never. It's not like I had a relationship and you backslid. It's real specific. I never knew you. 
they never ran in the first place. Because Jesus would have made it clear that you were once with me and you backslid. We once were acquainted and then you disobeyed. But he said, I never knew you. And how much of the church world today are doing things in the name of God? And my daughter sent me, the same daughter, sent me a, a thing yesterday, uh, a pastor blessing some spring water and sending it out to people. And supposedly people are getting thousands and thousands of dollars because of the blessed spring water. And she asked me, what is this? <laughs> and I had to take a pause for a minute. Blessings don't come from springs or spring water. It does come from a wellspring of life in you, in Christ. And you can't send in novelty little products and get people to activate their faith and tell them that God's going to give them $100,000. And he had just a few people on there doing it, so my daughter was puzzled about it. She goes, wow, this is crazy. I said, yeah, to say the least. It's crazy. You won't find it in Scripture, so you have to stay away from things like that. But I'm sure the person that's promulgating this thing there's a little bit of, he knows he's deceiving people, but people are very gullible and people are hurting. And coincidentally, maybe some things may have looked like in association to what you got with the spring water, something happened, so you bring those people on to tell their story so other people can believe. And eventually, if money comes in, they're not asking for money now, but when money comes in, you'll get another letter saying, you know, go ahead and bless the Lord now since he's blessed you. And that's how they make money. You're making money on people. Yes. Filthy lucre. And people do it. It's really sad. It's really sad. So I just told her, I said, you got to, I sent her Matthew 24 where it talked about in the last days, the dece deception will come. See to it that you're not deceived and all of that. Read Matthew 24. It'd be a good thing for you to read this week. Because in the last days, uh, many people are going to come saying that they are the Christ. Many false teachers and false prophets and all these things are going to come. And they're going to speak of God. But Jesus said to these guys, after they clearly said in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, did we not, you know, prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons, you know, in your name? He says, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I declare to them, I never knew you. And then what he says is, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So while they were saying, Lord, Lord, they really weren't in line with God. They weren't in line with Jesus. They weren't following. I mean, it's real clear when he says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But focus on this piece here. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. We have to find out what it is that is the will of God so that we don't miss it. And the simplest way to know the will of God is the word of God. That's the simplest way. But also the will of God is what God speaks to you in your spirit. So he'll give you the word and then he'll speak to you in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. And he'll lead you and guide you to where you're supposed to go. Because Proverbs tells us we acknowledge him in all our ways. He'll direct the path, right? So he'll do, we got to acknowledge God and he'll start giving you direction. And for a lot of people, what they like to do, they like to get out before God and get things going rather than get behind God and be led by him. We can't rush God to a desire that we have because he can't be moved that way. The Bible says delight yourself in the Lord, and then he'll give you the desires of your heart. But we have to first delight ourselves in the Lord. And then what you'll find that once you start delighting yourself in the Lord, your desires change. 
I might go to God one minute wanting this and that, but I start spending time with him. I realize I don't even need that anymore. I'm so glad you didn't give it to me when I thought I wanted it or I needed it. Because now I don't even really have an appetite for that now because I've been delighting myself in the Lord. Thus, he's been giving me now the desire of my heart, which now has become the desire of his heart. He starts to refocus and repurpose my attention on things that are going to be pleasurable to him and beneficial to me. Did you hear what I just said? Pleasurable to him and beneficial to me. So if God is pleased, I get a benefit. That's deep. If you really think about it, if God is pleased, if he's happy, we benefit from it. And Jesus made this statement. He said, I always do those things which are pleasing to my father. And God said, this is my beloved son in him. I'm well pleased. I want that kind of relationship. I want to be able to say that about my God. And I want God to be able to say that about me. And so I have to practice doing the will of God. So practicing the will of God would be understanding who he is to me. When he said to them, who am I? What do you say that I am? If somebody asks you about your God, what do you say about him? Is it biblical what you say? Is it superstitious? Is it religious? Is it presumptuous? What do you really say about God that has any level of truth in it? Because what you say about God being convicted in your heart will change lives. You, you've heard people speak with conviction before. You know, when, you, when you know that they believe what they're saying and you hear how they project it and they speak it out, you can say, wow, that person really has a deep desire and passion for what they're saying right now. And it's to the point where it affects you to where it's believable. That's why testimony is so powerful. It's believable. What is your testimony? about who God is to you. Let's go back over there to Mark real quick. In verse 29, he says in eight, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, thou art the Christ, right? You're the Christ. That's not a light statement that he said. He says, thou art the Christ. I tell people this all the time. That Christ is not Jesus' last name. When he says you are the Christ, he basically said you are the Messiah. You're the Holy One of God. You're the one that he spoke of in Isaiah. He says, we will call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. I mean, that's deep. You are the Christ. Another translation says the son of the living God. You are what the whole world's been waiting for. Everything now begins and ends with you because you are the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. See, you are the whole reason for redemption for all mankind. In fact, it's so powerful that dates pivot on Jesus, A.D. and B.C. Right in the center of all that is Christ. He spent 33 and a half years, he demonstrated who he was over and over again. After he was baptized of John in the river, the Bible says that heavens opened up 
and came down like a dove. It says like a dove. It's not necessarily a dove, but like a dove, the Spirit of God came down and descended upon him. That's why people got little doves on their car now. But the Bible says like a dove, not a dove, like a dove. Why is it a dove? One day I was sitting in an open place, and some doves just came out of nowhere and, and landed on my shoulder. And I, I was like, what? They, they weren't afraid. They just came. And I watched them come and just got right on my shoulder. But the, the way they got on my shoulder was like so light. They flew in. I didn't even hear them. and just see them. They just lit on my shoulder. They said the spirit of God, like a dove, came and descended upon Jesus while he's being baptized of John. And this is why God said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. This is the one. Jesus was a big deal. There's so many lies going out about Christ today and so many false religions and belief systems and people even saying that Jesus was not even existent. He wasn't real. It was just more of a spirit. It's the concept. It's the mindset. There's no real Jesus. You know, and if he was, he's just a man. I'm here to tell you today, Jesus is alive and well. He was more than real. He was God in the flesh. And you're going to have to defend your faith every day of the week as days grow closer to his coming because there are more people with all this stuff, this made-up stuff about Christianity being a white man's religion. This is what you're hearing out there. And yet when Moses came out of Egypt, the Bible says there was a mixed multitude. Long before the things were written about Jesus, obviously they were prophesied, but he said he brought a mixed, and I thought that was significant, because the family of God is a mixed multitude of people. All of them came out of all different type of ethnicities. And yet we culminate into what we have today, the written word of God, the scripture, that brings light on the subject of who Jesus really is. Moses' name was drawn out. He was drawn out of the River Nile, drew out, you know, for deliverance of the people. And Jesus was drawn to the earth for the deliverance of the people. And it's significant that we hold on to Jesus and don't believe the lies. Peter answered and said, thou art to Christ. And Jesus said this in verse 30. And he warned them to tell no one about him, right? Verse 31, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things. I want you to see this now. And for a lot of us who believe that you can just live your life and everything can be okay, well, <laughs> If Jesus had not made this statement, we would not be secure today. But there are some things that we as people must suffer for good to come. Some things. My parents suffered so that I could have a benefit. I had to suffer so my kids could have a benefit. There's something to do with suffering. You're going to go through some turmoil, some suffering to bring about change. Nothing will change until somebody's willing to bear it. And it's not so easy just to say, I want to be in the ministry. When you go into ministry, there's a particular kind of secret little suffering that nobody's willing to tell you till you're in there. People like to grandize and say everything is great and God's wonderful. Man, if you're doing things right, you're going to suffer through some things. If you're liked by everybody and everybody loves you, something's wrong with that. Not that I don't want to be liked. I mean, I don't want nobody hating me. But what I'm saying, if I teach the truth, I'm going to have some problems. Jesus said, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. 
if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. How'd you like to hear that from Jesus? After delivering people and casting out demons and feeding 5,000, healing the sick, walking on water. And then he says something like that. You know, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they kill me, they're going to kill you. You can thin out a church real quick. Verse 31. And he began to teach them. So he's teaching this. That the son of man must suffer many things. Now watch this. And be rejected. So he has to suffer and he has to be rejected for this season. By the elders specifically and the chief priests and the scribes. And not only that, he says, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said, this has to happen. Now, he makes this real clear. This has to happen. And I don't think the last part really registers because you hear all of that tumultuous stuff. You're going to be killed. But the part that he said, the victory in it, he says, and after three days, he's going to rise again. When people are telling us stuff and we're hearing the part that they're telling us, but we're not hearing the significant part. You have to hear the whole thing. I can see the disciples listening to him and Jesus is making a statement, but they weren't getting it because I know they didn't get it. Because look at what Peter said afterwards. He says, he rise again. See, in my mind, I'd be thinking now this side of the book, because I've read it, okay, Jesus is going to suffer this, he's going to go through that, and they're going to kill him, but then he's going to rise again. So I've read the story, I've seen the story, I've heard the story, so I'm okay, they're going to kill him, then I'm going to be waiting for him to rise again, because he says he's going to rise again. But see, they had no understanding of what that really meant. So the flesh runs interference in the ministry all the time. If I listen to what the people say, I'm going to be in trouble. Because people don't have the insight that God has and what he's told me. So if I'm listening to them and not listening to God, I'm already in trouble. And I know people don't understand some of the moves we make and the things we do. And you're not going to understand them because they're not meant for you to understand at that moment. But you have to obey God rather than men. And I know people do it with the best of intentions. Think about that. The best of intentions. Man, I'm only telling you this because I love you. Man, you know I love you, right? I, I, you know, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't say it. People tell me all the time, man, you know I love you. God told me one time, he said, man, I think you know what you need to do. I, I said, what is that? He said, you know you need to fold up the church, quit, go get a job. But I think you beholding to some of the commitments you made to the people. I said, boy, I ain't made no commitment to no people. I made a commitment to God. You see, he was sharing his experience because he was called into the ministry and he quit. And went and got a job. And he thought by looking at me suffer, the remedy that he took, which still didn't make him look any better, he wasn't any more happy, he wanted me to do it because misery loves company. So he quit, he gets somebody else on the side to quit. So we all quit. That was 28 years ago. And I've been through all kind of stuff in 28 years. But remember, on the third day, he's going to rise. On the third day, he's going to rise. That's symbolic of some things. No matter what you go through, on the third day, you're going to rise. On the third day, it's going to lift. On the third day, it's going to get better. The end of the story is no matter what you go through, victory belongs to you. Watch this last piece. Peter didn't get it. And Peter was cool. He knew he loved Jesus, but he didn't get it. Right, this. Here we go. Verse 32. And he was... Stating the matter plainly, right? (laughs) 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And the word rebuke means correct. He didn't say, Lord, I rebuke thee. He pulled Jesus aside. No, 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 Lord, that's not going to happen to you. That's the rebuke. Lord, what are you talking about? That could, that's not going to happen to you. Thought he was doing Jesus some good. Look at what Jesus answered. And remember, Peter is one that people worship in the church. He's a saint. He's all the things. You read the Bible, you see Peter had all kinds of problems that God had to correct all the time, which let me know that even though he became St. Peter, saints are not perfect. And if we worship people as saints and we think that they're perfect, you haven't read the Bible. The greater truth is that as Peter is a saint, and so are you. You are a saint because you've been set apart for God. And that's all what a saint is, been set apart for God. All right, now watch this. Peter took him aside and started correcting Jesus, telling him, you know, no, this is not going to happen, Jesus. No, that, that, that's really not going to happen. So verse 33, but turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked or corrected Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Where have I set my interest on man rather than God? That's what I got to find out, because when I do that, I'll find out then who Jesus is to me. You got to be careful what you're interested in, what your interests are, what your purposes are. You know, a lot of times uh, you forego the things of God to do the things of man, and then you end up in trouble and you need God anyway. You end up praying and crying out, which God understands that. That's what Peter did when he got out of the boat. He cried out and God saved him. But you don't always want to be in a situation where you have to do things and have to scream out, save me, Lord. You want to be obedient to God so you can have less of those save me, Lord times. When I was younger, I always had a save me, Lord moment. I was always venturing out to do something and get myself in trouble, trying to be ambitious, trying to be an entrepreneur, all these things, taking your family and everything you know through all kinds of hurt and harm because you're trying to do something. You're trying to believe God. You're trying to step out and be somebody. Who was Jesus to me then? Was he a divine bellhop? That every time I ring the bell, he would answer everything I wanted? No, I had it wrong. See, I had God working for me when I should have been working for God. I'm just being honest. Back then, I thought God was there to give me everything I want. My name is Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. That's the way I was thinking. But I didn't realize till later on when I started to mature just a little bit, say a little bit, that I worked for God. He didn't work for me. And that's something you really have to come to grips with. God doesn't work for you. He doesn't owe us anything. He's given us everything in Christ. And all that pertains to godliness, he's given it all to us. He doesn't owe you anything, not by a debt or owe. You and I work for God. We serve him. He doesn't serve us. So he told Peter, he said, your interest is on man's. Now, this is just after the great revelation. You're the Christ. Peter, you are the Christ. And then just a few verses later, oh, no, 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 no. I rebuke you, Peter. <laughs> I correct you. What you're talking is man's interest. You're not on the interest of God. I must die. I must suffer so that I can rise again. Peter was in the flesh. He was so used to being with Jesus. Didn't want Jesus to go anywhere. Didn't want him to get hurt. I know in his flesh he meant well. But if Peter would have got his way, we would be in trouble today. Jesus said, I must do this. See, you can't stop people from what they must do. You got to support them. When Joe told me he wanted to go home, 
There was nothing else for me to say. I'm not going to sit there and try to pray him in to stay here. He said, I'm ready to go. I want to see my Jesus. Yippee. That's what he said. I wasn't used to that. No, 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 Joe. No, no, no. God's got a few more good years in you. Joe, Joe looked at me. He says, I am ready to go. I said, amen. Sitting there with his wife, Betty, and I didn't know what to do. He wanted to go. And we're looking at each other. Okay, well, what do you do with this one? He's ready to go. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready as Joe to go? And he's ready to go any day now. But are you ready? Joe was so sure of his salvation, he was ready to go. That's the way we should live. Not fearing death. Because he knows once he slips out of here, I fly away into his arms. So Peter gets rebuked. Verse 34, and he summoned the multitude with his disciples and said to them, if anyone, this is what prompted this, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Listen, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my name's sake and the gospel shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow. That's what I have for you today. <laughs> We're going to stop there. <laughs>